0: Did I tell you I found a group on Meetup that is a wine, dinner, and book club all in one?
1: No, you didn't.
0: So I literally found it last night. So I I told you how I've been using Meetup like a, a crazed fiend. Like, I'm obsessed with it. Um, but I found one last night that was this group, and it's a women's group, too. So it's women in Dallas in, like, a certain neighborhood that love wine, share dinner, like, they love food, and they read a book. And I got accepted into the group, so I'm going to be going here in a couple weeks. And I'm so excited. Nice. I know.
1: Oh, that's going to be so much fun.
0: I mean, I'm kind of like an old woman because I love book clubs. Although, seriously, everyone loves book clubs. And I remember when I graduated college and I needed something to do, I started a book club. And it was a hit.
1: I mean, I've never gone to a book club. I've also never really utilized Meetup because the one time I did, I had an ex who was really into it, and it just put I was, I'm good.
0: Well, um, but you should utilize it now because it's phenomenal. I'm telling you, man, there's some great groups. There's even ones that are just like, hey, we go to this restaurant every Monday because they have $2 margaritas. Come join us.
1: Um. Uh, yes, absolutely. I also feel like it would be like, I feel like I could find meetups. It's like, oh, People who like architecture and like to drink wine and talk about their favorite art deco
0: buildings literally just have like a drink and chat about buildings. people I don't who know. can
1: quote the entire Titanic movie and do so in this three hour long
0: meetup while drinking weekly. wine so hi everyone. this is a blood and wine. I'm Brittany
1: and I'm Tyler.
0: And if you haven't checked out Meetup, seriously, they have it in, like, every city, and you should totally check it out.
1: I guess, honestly, one really nice thing about it, and kind of the reason why I should use it, is because how the hell do you make friends as an adult? I don't know if I've brought this up before, or just, like, on the podcast, or just to my friends and stuff, but, like, other than meeting people through work, I have no idea how you meet people as an adult.
0: Um, I honestly have no idea because that's literally my life right now. I'm in a new city. I've met my, you know, a few coworkers, but also I'm like, okay, where do you meet people? Hence, meet up and why I'm kind of obsessed. It's giving me a social life. So I highly recommend it. Fair. So I'm really excited to announce three of our new Blood & Wine family members. We have three new Chardonnay syndicate gals, Vanessa melinda and kate so welcome you guys welcome to the family um thank you so much for all of your support if you guys haven't checked out our patreon that's where you can go for additional content that's patreon only so just sign up for one of our tiers support us get things like our murder mini episodes our bottle talk episodes Even our top tier, you get to pick the topic for an episode. Um, We've done a lot of these Patreon episodes. The topics you guys bring to us are the best. Like, Literally, I love listening to how y'all's brains work and all the topics you can think of. So if you haven't had a chance, hop on over to Patreon, search Blood & Wine Podcast, and go ahead and subscribe and help support us. We want to bring you more content, better content, all the content, because we love you guys and we just want to be able to share all of this with you. But we're totally independent, so that's where y'all come in.
1: Absolutely. And the support y'all have been giving us so far has been absolutely incredible. And if you haven't yet, make sure that you subscribe to us. Uh, We're on all major podcast platforms, so if you want to listen to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or literally any of the other dozens, however many podcasts... Streaming services there are out there, you can find us on them.
0: Yeah, we're also on Stitcher and Google Play.
1: Yeah, those two big ones, also. <laughs> um, but uh, for our current news, I want to talk a little bit about Crimmy Box. So, Crimmy Box is this online interactive detective game, and you get to put on your detective hat and solve the disappearance of Alice in their first installment, Missing in Jericho so you're like given these case files evidence and you're also given a virtual detective to help you solve the case you can play by yourself you can play with a group of friends and it's this like fully immersive online experience.
0: Yeah, and it's brand new. And so, right now, Creamy Box, is, they're, they've got a Kickstarter out. And you can pledge to help build out this game. And there's a ton of awesome perks that you can get by donating, such as early access to the game, and daily updates on Alice's disappearance. So if you've ever wanted to be like a digital detective, Creamy Box is definitely for you. And it also involves interaction with real websites, social media accounts. Like, you're really sleuthing on the web so if you want crummy box to become a thing like totally go check out their kickstarter and support them we've played a little bit of their intro game and this case is so much fun like i just talked back and forth with the detective and like oh yeah i mean it's one
1: of those if you are the kind of person who's an armchair detective who will sit there and i don't know talk about all the different like factors in the jean benet ramsey case this is, like, tailor-made for y'all.
0: Definitely. So just go to CrimmyBox. that's C-R-I-M-I-B-O-X.com, and you can go check out their Kickstarter, all the perks, and read a little bit about the case.
1: So now I'm going to jump into our topic. I had the losing case from the last episode, and honestly, I'm okay with that, because I had this topic in mind, and I was really excited to do it. The topic is Munchausen Syndrome by Proxy, so you might be thinking to yourself, hmm, I might have heard of this, or you might have never heard of this. Munchausen Syndrome by Proxy, also known as MSBP, is a mental health problem in which a caregiver makes up or causes an illness or injury to a person under their care, such as a child, an elderly person, or an adult with a disability. Oh, side note, all this information I pulled from the University of Michigan Medicine site. But because vulnerable people are the victims, Munchausen syndrome by proxy is a form of child abuse or elder abuse. The caregiver with it may lie about the child's symptoms, change test results to make their child appear ill, physically harm the child to produce symptoms, or a whole host of other really manipulative tactics. Victims are most often small children. They may get painful medical tests that they don't need. They might even get seriously ill or injured or die because of the actions of their caregiver to make them appear sick. Children who are victims of it can have lifelong physical and emotional problems and may have Munchausen syndrome as adults and munchausen syndrome is a disorder in which a person causes or falsely reports their own symptoms so um like a very mild form of it is someone who might be considered like a hypochondriac
0: yeah i was about to ask you how hypochondria intertwines with munchausen syndrome because they so, are very similar, but I know they have a lot of differences.
1: Yeah, they're very similar. And essentially, hypochondria is a smaller scale. Munchausen syndrome is usually on a much larger scale. So someone with hypochondria might think every headache they have is a brain tumor, or think that when they're anxious and they can feel their heart beating really fast, that this is a heart attack. Munchausen syndrome takes it... a step further where you create this reality around it. So you're creating evidence that shows you have these illnesses. A person with Munchausen syndrome who believes they have leukemia, for example, and are going through chemo may shave their heads to create the reality that they are going through this treatment and losing their hair. And again, Munchausen by proxy is when you are creating this reality of these symptoms for others under your care and doctors aren't really sure what causes it but it might be linked to problems during the abuser's childhood abusers often feel like their life is out of control they often have poor self-esteem and can't deal with stress or anxiety and the attention that caregivers get from having a sick child might encourage their behavior so they might get attention not only from doctors and nurses, but also from others in their community. For example, neighbors may try to help out the family in a bunch of different ways, doing chores, bringing meals, giving money. And this creates this like hero complex in The Abuser, where they are seen as just this powerful, strong person who is just doing such good taking care of this sick child or, you know, this elderly person, this person under their care, when in fact it's all a lie and they're destroying that person under their care.
0: Yeah. And like you said, oftentimes that person under their care can die. And it's, Mm -hmm. this is a rare mental illness. And when it comes about, like, it's a really intense one. And I think a lot of the times you don't think you're doing wrong. You are a caregiver and you're taking care of your child or whoever you're in charge of. You don't think you're doing them any wrong, even though you really are.
1: I think it definitely depends on the case itself because, yeah, there are a lot of times when in creating this reality, they really do think they're doing the right thing and my child has this disease, the tests are wrong. If they're only going to believe the tests, here's a way that The tests will show that my child's sick, things like that. Yeah. And there are other cases where it is done in a malicious manner.
0: So basically what you're telling me is we're definitely going to need some wine for this episode.
1: Absolutely. Okay,
0: well then let's get into the wine before we get into our cases.
1: So, the wine that I'm going to be drinking in today's episode is the 2018 Umbali Chenin Blanc Viognier. And this is a white wine from the Western Cape region of South Africa. It is a blend of 79% Chenin Blanc and 21% Viognier. Look how cool the bottle is. It's a gorgeous bottle. Yeah, it's very... Um, has these nice autumnal colors uh, has like kind of a flower design, and uh, it has the scientific name of the flower. It's the Protea cineroides. I don't know what that flower is, but it's on this bottle. And it's very beautiful. The aroma of this wine is stone fruit and maybe a little bit of vanilla. And pretty much for what it's worth, it smells like a Chenin Blanc. Um, the wine is dry in flavor, And like in Aroma, the Chenin Blanc really is the front runner with the Viognier taking the back seat. The wine is highly acidic, but balanced out by the tropical fruity flavors, smooth drinking. um, It's a very easy drinking wine, and it lacks the complexity of most Viognier blends, but it gets a lot of that body from the Chenin Blanc. And I did read a couple reviews that mentioned butteriness. So I'm a little scared. Well, it's
0: from that that Viognier grape. Yeah. That, where it has that little bit of a butteriness. I'm really interested to see what you think of this one, because I'm having a hard time imagining what the Chinon Blanc and the Viognier would taste like together.
1: Oh, me too. So I'm gonna open mine. It's a twist off. Also, I got mine from Trader Joe's for $5.
0: Great price. I've never seen that one in TJ's.
1: Me neither, which is why I got
0: it. It must be a newer one. What does it smell like? White wine? I get
1: the stone fruit. I mean, oh. smells kind of like peaches, but not sweet.
0: Ooh. It looks really light as well. Oh, maybe more like a... It's it's, a, it's, it's yellow. It's fairly... Yeah. It's like it's, hay. It's pretty in
1: the middle, yeah. Like straw. Yeah. Smells good, though. Okay, tell me about
0: yours. Okay, so mine is another first leaf wine, because again, I'm still like going through my box. It is the 2017 Castello Specchio White Blend IGT Ter Siciliane from Italy. And apologies if I didn't say all of those right. That was a lot of Italian words together. Like that one, like the Lambrusco, when it was like, here are 16 Italian words. Um, But... So Italy is known as the home of some of the oldest wine-producing regions in the world, and Italian wines are known for their very broad variety. So from mountainous regions in the far north, through the Piedmont, down into Tuscany, and continuing all the way to the tip of Sicily, Italian wines are some of the most delicious and highly sought-after wines in the world, um, which is why we hear about them all the time. So this wine in particular is a beautiful 50-50 blend between the Caterato grape and Chardonnay. It's a white wine, um, which I said that earlier, it's a white blend. It has bright, fresh notes of Mediterranean spices, such as cardamom. There are notes of citrus and stony mineral notes as well. It got 91 points and it's won a gold and silver medal. And this... Castello Specchio is a perfect partner to pair with fresh Mediterranean foods such as fresh seafood grilled in olive oil, salads with capers, and fresh vegetables. And it's literally such a gorgeous bottle. It's like a, a tile walkway or like mosaic you've Ooh, got
1: yeah given me some very like roman vibes
0: definitely me too i it looks very italian and it is a regular corked um, wine so i'm going to get into this because i do not know about the Cattarato grape and so i'm interested to see how that plays with the chardonnay and what what changes it makes to the chardonnay which is one i'm very familiar with however Not Italian Chardonnay. I don't really know what that's going to taste like. I don't think it's going to be buttery. I think it's going to be more fresh, you know, because this isn't oak barrels or anything. Yeah. This is much lighter than I was picturing. Wow! Look at that. That is super light. Like, this is Sauvignon Blanc light.
1: Yeah, and it almost has a little bit of, like, peachy tones in it.
0: It smells like a Sauvignon Blanc. Like, huh. I smell the stony minerality.
1: All right, well, cheers.
0: Cheers. This is a
1: very interesting wine. Tell, so tell me all about it. It's not like anything I've ever tasted before. Your first taste on the palate is a uh, kind of light, crisp, get some of those tropical fruity notes, but it very much has kind of a typical white wine taste. Similar to your basic Pinot Grigio, maybe. And then, you know, as it sits on your tongue, you get a little bit of that acidity. You get those tropical fruit flavors going on. And it's really nice. It's a heavier-bodied wine than, like, a Sauvignon Blanc. And when you swallow, it ends in an almost rounded, savory note. So I assume that's a little bit of the butteriness coming in, but it's not buttery like a Chardonnay. The butteriness is very much in the in the background kind of thing. It's very much part of the aftertaste, but it's a very round finish that I wasn't expecting from this wine. I'm a fan of this. This is a great white.
0: I want to try that for five
1: dollars. Yeah, this is great if you're wanting to try something new. If you like white wine, but you want something that's not going to be a typical Pinot Grigio or Sauvignon Blanc or Chardonnay. The closest I would say this is to would be an un Chardonnay. Yeah. But it does have that tiny bit of butteriness at the end.
0: So mine is much lighter than I thought it would be. And the first note that I get like on my nose and when I taste it is definitely that stony taste and also the mineral notes. Those are very much present. It took till about my third sip to where I really got that citrus. Um, It's a very quick wine. It does not linger on your tongue. You kind of have to hold it there if you want to try to taste a few things, swish it around a little bit in your mouth, let it hit all those areas of your tongue. Um, It's good. It makes me think of a Sauvignon Blanc, but it's not as zesty and it doesn't have like the grass and the lime that a Sauvignon Blanc has. It's more of these mineral and stony notes. I'm realizing I'm not 100% sure what cardamom is like because I realized I was thinking of what's what is used in a pumpkin pie that starts with a C? Clove? Yeah, cloves. I don't know why I was thinking of cloves. But I was thinking of like Christmas spices. And that's absolutely not what is in here. Um, Are you looking up cardamom?
1: Actually, I've had it before. It's used in a lot of baking in uh, Norway. So a lot of their like little bakery buns and stuff will have cardamom, a little bit of cinnamon. So it's in that similar spice family. Okay,
0: so I wasn't completely wrong.
1: Yeah, it's not as strong as clove. It honestly gives me, like, vibes closer to, like, saffron.
0: Okay, Um, that's a subtle flavor.
1: Yeah, but if saffron really wanted to, like, hook up with a cinnamon stick, like, that kind of vibe. That's
0: cardamom? Yeah. The saffron cinnamon baby. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, this is definitely a drier wine. It has bits of sweetness when you can taste that citrus on the mid-palate. I am um, get each sip I take, I'm getting more and more flavors. It's a good one. It's a nice sipping wine. I can absolutely see why this would be perfect with some grilled fish. It's one I think that would be better with food than sipped alone. Fair. Okay. So, okay. Well, with that, we've got our wine. We've talked about our topic. Now it's time for you to jump into your case.
1: So the case that I chose is one that I built the topic around. Because I wanted to do this case. And I'm pretty sure that the second I mentioned what the topic was, most of y'all had the idea that one of us was going to be doing this case.
0: I mean, obviously, like we all know what case you did. You have talked about it in the past. This is not a surprise.
1: I know. So the case that I'm doing is Gypsy Rose and the murder of Dee Dee
0: Blanchard. Which I know none of y'all know this story at all. Just kidding. It's, no, no one. Honestly, it's it's horrifying. Every time it, I hear this story, I hear new details, and it's just like, wait, what, huh?
1: So the sources that I used are an HBO documentary called Mommy, Dead, and Dearest. Very good documentary. Heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. Especially her interactions with like her father and stuff.
0: Oh, it's a tearjerker. Uh, I cried like multiple times. Yeah.
1: The other source I used were All That's Interesting and Biography. So there was something about Gypsy Rose Blanchard and her mother, Dee Dee Blanchard, that you just couldn't help but love. There's this daughter stricken by cancer, muscular dystrophy, and a host of other diseases, but she's still smiling every chance she has. And there's this mother who's devoted to giving her daughter everything she ever wanted. They were this picture of inspiration and hope, but everything was not as it seems. So when Dee turned up dead, bludgeoned to death in her own home, with her sickly daughter nowhere to be found, the community descended into absolute chaos. They thought, there is no way that this girl can survive on her own. And even worse, what if the person who murdered Didi had also kidnapped Gypsy Rose. So, a manhunt was ordered very quickly for Gypsy Rose, and thankfully to everyone's delight, she was found just one day later. But the Gypsy Rose that was found was not the same girl who'd gone missing. Rather than a bald, thin, wheelchair-bound cancer patient, the police found a strong young woman who was walking and eating on her own questions immediately arose about this beloved mother-daughter duo. You know, how had she changed so rapidly overnight? Had she ever been sick? And most importantly, was she involved with what had happened to Dee Dee Blanchard?
0: This story is just so crazy. Could you imagine if one of your neighbors, you know they were sick and they were you always knew them as you know as family that was just overcoming all of these obstacles and you were so impressed by them and their strengths and you see her walking and and not sick like it's like what
1: excuse me it's almost it's that instant feeling of betrayal because you're like i thought you couldn't walk you're walking and also you know you love these people you it's this sweet little girl and this loving mom. And you're just confused. You're not even like angry for being betrayed. You just are like, I don't understand what's going on. Yeah. And one thing I do want to mention, if you want to get a good picture about a lot of like the emotional stuff that was going on with um, Gypsy, with Dee Dee, with the community itself, with Neighbors, Absolutely check out The Act on Hulu. It is a dramatized uh, version of events, so they do take things, amp them up for TV. So it's definitely not a documentary. It is based on this case, and it's a 10-part series, so it's not too, too long. It's, you know, an hour or so each episode. Yeah. Um, but highly recommend. It's very good. The acting is incredible. But... It really does give a lot of insight into their relationship with their community and Gypsy's relationship with those around her other than her mom. Because pretty much for 99% of her life, her mom is the only other person in it yeah she doesn't really talk to the doctors her mom talks to the doctors and then talks to her you know her mom is her only person really um in the show you get to see her kind of develop relationships with the neighbors a few times she gets to develop relationships outside you know with her mom not there um so you get to see kind of bits and pieces of gypsy as as a person without her mom um and i think that's something that series does very well.
0: I agree. It's a fascinating series, and I would say watch um, the HBO documentary first, so you know yes. what actually did happen, and then watch the act on Hulu. And it's you'll know like where they took liberties, but also how they did follow along pretty accurately mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, but actually, getting to see some of these things acted out, it just brings a, a whole new level of horror to what yeah. gypsy went through and what Dee Dee went through. Like it's yeah. it's really intense and
1: Patricia Arquette plays Dee Dee and she's phenomenal, but the real star is Joey King as Gypsy Rose. Another reason to watch the documentary first and then watch the act is just see how impressive the makeup department and Joey King's acting is. Yeah. Because It is spot on. I feel like you could play a public interview that Gypsy did while Dee Dee was still alive and then play a scene from the act, and it is scarily similar. She got
0: the voice down perfect.
1: Yeah, the voice, the mannerisms, everything. So when Gypsy Rose Blanchard was an infant, Dee Dee brought her to the hospital convinced that she was suffering from sleep apnea. Despite no sign of the disease, Didi remained convinced, and eventually determined herself that Gypsy had an unspecified chromosomal disorder. From then on, she watched her daughter like a hawk, fearing that disaster could strike at any moment. When Gypsy was eight years old, she fell off her grandfather's motorcycle— Didi immediately took her to the hospital where she was treated for just a minor abrasion on her knee, but Didi was unconvinced. She said that this accident had obviously resulted in something much worse, and Gypsy would need several surgeries if she was ever going to walk again.
0: She literally just like scraped her knee and Didi's is like, nope, she can't walk
1: yeah didi described her as suffering from leukemia and muscular dystrophy so she required a wheelchair and a feeding tube because this wasn't just a fall this was she fell because of these other issues that she's having the list of medical problems that didi related about her daughter would go on to include seizures asthma as well as hearing and visual impairments Due to Dee Dee's actions, Gypsy was prescribed a litany of medications, and she had to sleep using a breathing machine. Uh, so one of the big things you see for people with sleep apnea that are terrifying and loud, and I don't know how anybody sleeps through that. But I don't either. You don't, you'll suffocate and die, so.
0: I guess you learn how to sleep with it.
1: I mean, I assume in the same way, if you live next to the railroad tracks, you learn how to sleep through the train, but not your alarm. You learn how to sleep with a sleep apnea machine or, you know, if you have a partner with a sleep apnea machine, you learn how to sleep through it. Yeah.
0: Considering it's something that keeps them alive, like I said, I think it's something that's pretty easy to just learn how to get over. Yeah. Or wear earplugs.
1: Well, and also I imagine it's at some level because it's kind of like a constant noise and stuff that a pattern that it's kind of like a white noise machine.
0: Actually, that's a great point. I'm sure it is. It honestly may not be very difficult to sleep next to someone that has that. Or yourself. I love white noise yeah. machines, by the way. Like, either like the, you know, the rainforesty ocean sounds, or honestly just straight white noise. Sleep like a freaking baby.
1: See, I actually found recently um, that I actually do enjoy podcasts, but a specific type, and only for going to bed... And the specific type is like disaster documentary podcasts, which there are very few of. So instead, what I wind up doing is pulling a like a documentary on a tornado on YouTube, and just putting my phone down and listening to it. It's the uh, okay. Don't give me that look. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm you know sorry. how when you watch like documentaries on TV and you're laying on the couch, you get that like, oh, I'm gonna fall asleep feeling. Like when you're watching Nat Geo or something. It's kind of like that.
0: Okay. Okay, is it the weather but, sounds, or is it just the sound of the story, or all combined?
1: I mean, all of it. Okay. I mean, it's not weather sounds, because it's not like the documentary being like, and then the tornado blew through. Whoosh! Whoosh! It's not an ASMR <laughs> documentary.
0: Although, wouldn't you love that, though? You would love that. And
1: then the tornado Broke the glass.
0: Okay, well, I will say... um, Oh,
1: are we not going to become an ASMR disaster podcast? No, we're not.
0: But I'm proud of you for branching out and listening to podcasts. You've only been recording for over a year. Well, you know, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) To be fair, you listen to us every time you edit.
1: That is very true, and when I record. But anyways, so in addition to Gypsy's breathing machine and all her medicine... She also went through multiple surgeries, including procedures on her eyes and the removal of her salivary glands. and when gypsy's teeth rotted, so yeah, her salivary glands, so she was not able to
0: produce make spit
1: saliva, yeah, or at least as much. Oh
0: my God.
1: yeah, so one of the things saliva does is it helps you know clean your teeth and get the germs off of them and stuff. Well, without her saliva,
0: her teeth rotted. That's why her teeth rotted. Number one, seriously, had no idea your spit did that to your teeth. Like, your spit and having a wet
1: mouth keeps your mouth, your gums, your teeth healthy. That's why, like, for a lot of older people who don't produce as much saliva, they have to make sure to keep an eye on their teeth because a dry mouth can be just a home for bacteria, gingivitis, plaque. This is not a dentist podcast, but just saying.
0: I had wondered how her teeth got so bad. I never understood that happening.
1: A part of it also could have been neglect, you know, not taking care of her mouth, taking care of her teeth. But either way, whether it was caused by or just exacerbated by, the removal of her salivary glands played a big role in it. And so her teeth were pulled out. All of them. Yeah. After taking her daughter to a hospital in New Orleans, Dee Dee claimed that along with the chromosomal disorder, the muscular dystrophy, the hearing and vision problems, Gypsy was also beginning to suffer from seizures. But the truth of all of this was that Gypsy could walk and she didn't need a feeding tube and she did not have cancer. Her head was bald Only because her mother shaved off her hair. Experts believed that Dee Dee suffered from Munchausen Syndrome by proxy, and that made her fabricate her daughter's ill health in order to receive this attention and sympathy that she got for taking care of her sick child.
0: Well, and I know a lot of you guys may be thinking, like, how did Didi convince these doctors to do these things? People with Munchausen's by proxy can be just so convincing, and they create symptoms in the people they're caring for. And so the doctors do feel the need to do these tests or do these things. But at a certain point... Doctors do start to question this, but the reality of actually proving that someone has Munchausen's by proxy is extremely difficult, involves a ton of reporting, and with someone like Didi who bounced around from hospital to hospital, you have to call all these places to try to get the medical information, and that's not necessarily easy to do because you can't just call places and get a patient's medical information without permission, so Actually tracking this through, it's not easy. So I know, I know hasn't by proxy sounds crazy because it's like, why the doctors do it? But you've just got to understand that at the time and with what they were presented with, they made the correct choices and what they felt that they were supposed to do to give care to Gypsy. But definitely there were questions that arose well and also
1: when it comes to children and their sickness the oral history of a child's health from their caregiver is so vital because if someone comes in with their child saying she had a seizure in the car the doctor is not going to be like N- no she didn't yeah prove it she's not having one right now you know like that oral history especially when your patient is a child or someone with a child's level of intellect, it can be so difficult to get them to tell you what's wrong in terms that doctors are really going to be able to act upon. And Dee Dee, being her caregiver, she has that level of authority with these doctors, with Gypsy being a patient. So she was really the expert on Gypsy. She is the only person that is around Gypsy, 247, who is witness to all gypsy's going through. Yeah. And the doctors know that. So when she says this thing happened, their first step is going to be to believe her. Absolutely. But their next step is usually going to be medical tests. And in this case, well, they they often showed inconclusive or contradictory results regarding Gypsy's diagnoses. But Didi Dee Dee would stop seeing doctors that questioned her daughter's ailments. Yeah. And many caregivers went along with what Dee Dee wanted. She'd had some nurses' training, so she could accurately describe these symptoms. And she would sometimes give Gypsy medication to mimic certain conditions. So, not only is she giving her daughter these medications to, you know, she's saying, oh, she has this nausea. She can give her pills that make her super nauseous, that make her vomit. But she has nurses training. So when she's saying that Gypsy has leukemia, she knows that, okay, she she can mention her swollen lymph nodes. She can mention, you know, this bruise that won't go away. She can mention all these things that she knows from her medical background that lead more credence to, to the doctors. When they hear these symptoms, they say, yeah, that's that's leukemia.
0: Well, and Dee was a textbook case for Munchausen by proxy. And if anyone could be said to be a pro at this, it's absolutely Dee. Like, she knew what to do to be extremely convincing, to have things done. I mean, thinking about the extensive treatments that Gypsy went through, having a feeding tube, the glands taken out, the teeth taken out, like being in a wheelchair – all of these things were through her manipulation of the doctors and of well, and- Gypsy's body with- through medication. Yeah.
1: Well, and not just that, because that's a lot of the pieces of the puzzle, but you also have to be convincing. And Didi was convincing as fuck. She was so charming and she came across as so devoted to her daughter so she's the doctors aren't seeing her as this person coming in just shouting all these crazy things you know they're seeing her as someone who's saying these tests are wrong there is something wrong with my daughter and you doctors aren't doing enough these are her symptoms this is what i'm telling you i'm fighting for my daughter and absolutely they believed it and in a way in her mind she is Yeah. Like it's not so much an act as it is a belief. And when Gypsy was old enough to talk, Dee Dee instructed her not to volunteer information during their appointments. She was the one who relayed Gypsy's fake medical history. So Dee Dee told Gypsy's father that their daughter had a chromosomal disorder and that had led to her many health issues. And for the most part, gypsy's father was out of the picture uh he had been very young when he'd been with Dee, Dee, and pretty much she like left him with gypsy she was like i'm gonna take care of this we don't need you in her life and when i say he was young i think he was like 17 yeah
0: 16 i think he was like
1: something like that and she was i want to say her late 20s
0: so there was definitely um, a big age difference there in this level of, like, adult versus almost a child. Like, he was just, I he mean, was so young, he still had that juvenile mentality.
1: Yeah. Um, but he still, like, loved Gypsy and stuff, but was not as much in their life. And he complimented Didi for her devoted care. But when some of Didi's Dee family noticed that Gypsy didn't seem to need a wheelchair... And ask questions. Didi and Gypsy moved
0: away. So not only would she find new doctors, but she would even change location. Yeah. When questions arose anywhere, she ran.
1: Yeah. So in two thousand five, Hurricane Katrina forced Didi and Gypsy to move north to Aurora, Missouri. There, Dee, Dee continued to bring Gypsy to doctor's appointments, but Hurricane Katrina also provided an excuse for missing medical files. So Dee Dee could say, oh, they did all the tests. She does have leukemia. She was diagnosed five years ago. But, you know, her former medical records were lost in Katrina. So in 2008, Gypsy and Dee Dee moved into a new home in Springfield, Missouri. This house was built by Habitat for Humanity. It was painted pink, which was Gypsy's favorite color, and it had a wheelchair ramp. Gypsy and Dee Dee also received benefits that included charity-sponsored visits to concerts and Disney World. And all along, Dee Dee continued to bask in this attention that she received for being such a devoted caretaker. Meanwhile, the press that they're getting through the various foundations is attracting attention of doctors nationwide. Before long, specialists were reaching out to Dee Dee and Gypsy to see If there was anything that they could do. One of these doctors was a pediatric neurologist from Springfield named Bernardo Flasterstein and he offered to see Gypsy at his clinic. While they were there though, he discovered something pretty shocking. Not only did Gypsy not have muscular dystrophy, she didn't have anything else that Dee Dee claimed she had. He told Dee Dee, I don't see any reason why she doesn't walk. And when Dee Dee brushed him off, he began to make calls to doctors in New Orleans. And though Dee Dee claimed the hurricane had washed away all of Gypsy Rose's records, Dr. Flasterstein was able to find doctors whose records had survived. And after talking to them and confirming once again that Gypsy was, for all intents and purposes, a healthy child... He began to suspect that the real illness was actually lying in DD and came to believe that Gypsy was the victim of Munchausen's Syndrome by proxy.
0: Like I said, you know, sometimes they ask enough questions, and but it takes a lot. It takes a lot yeah. to get this deep.
1: Oh, yeah. Unbeknownst to him, Gypsy Rose had began to suspect the same thing.
0: Well, she's getting older. She's realizing things.
1: Yeah. In 2009 an anonymous report was made to authorities stating that didi's Dee accounts of gypsy's ailments had no medical basis this resulted in two caseworkers visiting their home but didi Dee Dee convinced them that there was nothing wrong as gypsy grew older didi Dee Dee began to lie about her age going so far as to alter the dates on her birth certificate to make gypsy seem younger but Gypsy was becoming harder for Dee Dee to control. One night, she showed up at her neighbor's door, standing on her own two feet, begging for a ride to the hospital. But Dee Dee quickly came over and intervened and explained the whole thing away, which was a talent she'd been able to cultivate for years. I'm like,
0: how would you explain that away? Oh, I know my wheelchair-bound daughter was just standing here, but it was the steroids she got earlier from the doctor that gave her some leg strength, but she needs to go back in the chair because she can only stay standing for about 2 minutes. Like,
1: I mean, something yeah, along maybe, those lines.
0: <laughs> I don't know. It, I just made that up, but
1: It could also be one of those. It's like, oh, well, because the muscular dystrophy, you know, she is able to stand for small periods of time, but she really needs to be in her wheelchair because she could fall, and if she falls, her other medical issue... You know, I'm, I'm not sure what the explanation was, but Didi was convincing.
0: That is for sure.
1: Any time that Gypsy began to stray or become independent or suggest that she was anything other than this small, innocent child suffering from a deadly illness, Dee Dee would step in and explain that Gypsy Rose's mind was addled by disease She'd say that her daughter was mentally challenged or that the drugs had rendered it impossible for her to really know what she was talking about. And because of their lovable nature and inspirational bond, people believed the story. Gypsy's saying, no, I can walk. I I don't need my tube. I don't think I'm sick. Well, she's on so many medicines and she's so sick and she has the mind of a child. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Yeah. In 2011, Gypsy tried to get away from her mom by running away with a man that she met at a science fiction convention, but Dee Dee soon tracked them down via mutual friends. She convinced the man that Gypsy was a minor, even though Gypsy was 19 at the time, and according to Gypsy, Didi smashed her computer and physically restrained her to the bed after they got home and threatened to smash her fingers with a hammer. Whoa. Gypsy also stated that her mother would sometimes hit her. Finally, in 2012, she met Nicholas Godajon, a 23-year-old man from Wisconsin, on an online dating site. Godejohn had a criminal record for indecent exposure and a history of mental illness, but neither of those dissuaded Gypsy. A few months after meeting, Godejohn came to visit Gypsy, and while Dee Dee was on a rare solo outing, the two had sex. After that, they began to plan Dee Dee's murder.
0: Which is something that I feel like they had been discussing, right? Like she would talk to him about what was going on, and they had built this whole relationship online, and it transitioned to in-person. And so they had this plan. Well, and
1: at this point, Gypsy is really understanding. You know, she's able to get an outside perspective on what she's going through. And she's really understanding the abuse that she's being subjected to. Yeah. And also the fact that already she's tried to tell people. She's done everything she's supposed to do. And no one believes her. And she, at this point, just been waiting for someone to come along and save her. And
0: believe her. And,
1: yeah. And Go to John seemed like the person to do it. Yeah. So through Facebook messages, the two planned mm-hmm. Dee Dee's murder. Go to John would wait until Dee Dee had gone to bed, and then Gypsy would let him in, and he would do the deed. Then, the night of June 13th, 2015, it was done. While she was sleeping, Nicholas Go to John bludgeoned Dee Dee in bed while Gypsy listened at the door. After she was dead, the two of them fled and separated at the Greyhound station. Gypsy and Go to John returned to his home in Wisconsin, where They were found by police. Gypsy had twice posted on the Facebook account that she shared with her mom, with one of the posts writing, That bitch is dead. She would later explain that she made these posts because she wanted someone to find her mother's body. She wanted her mom to be discovered. After Dee Dee's murder, many people who'd known Gypsy wondered why she had gone so far as to kill her. You know, since she could walk, she could have just exposed Dee Dee's lies by standing up in public. But Gypsy had been conditioned to think nobody would believe her. And she explained, I couldn't just jump out of the wheelchair because I was afraid and I didn't know what my mom would do. I didn't have anyone to trust. Because if she jumps up and tries to make a scene and her mom is able to lay it off like she's always, always been able to do... What is her mom going to do to her Right after, after she realizes that Gypsy's trying to expose her? She's gone to so many lengths to destroy her daughter's life in every way imaginable. What more would she do? Would it be that shocking if people found out that Gypsy died in her sleep from her illnesses? I think Gypsy had every reason to be so terrified to make any kind of scene that she's paralyzed from doing it. I mean, the fact that Gypsy had spent her entire life being controlled and monitored by her mom, she's not allowed to go to school. Even though she's of normal intelligence, her mom tells everyone that she is the mental age of a seven-year-old. And when they're out in public, Dee Dee constantly held Gypsy's hand and would squeeze it when she wanted her daughter to be quiet. Dr. Mark Feldman, who's an expert in Munchausen Syndrome by proxy, spoke about Gypsy's life and actions and said that the control was total, in the same sense that the control of a kidnapped victim sometimes is total. Her daughter was, in essence, a hostage, and I think we can understand the crime that occurred subsequently in terms of a hostage trying to gain escape.
0: That's a really good comparison that I've honestly, I've thought of it, but not necessarily in that way. I've thought of it in the sense Mm -hmm. that she wanted to get away, but you're absolutely right. Like, she was being held hostage by her mother, and she was trying to find an escape. And while she did develop a relationship with someone who, you know, it's one of those things, like, I feel like they didn't actually have to kill Dee Dee. They could have figured out a way to escape and really escape and not just, like she did with the guy she met at the science fair. She's still in the same town. Like her mom was able to find her. Her mom didn't know about Nick. And so I think there was opportunity there for her to disappear. But murder was just like one of the first thoughts and gypsy was in love with him and so the fact that he is one of the only other people she's ever really associated with in her life that love was strong and Mm -hmm. she trusted him he was going to save her and so she went along with the plan
1: so because gypsy's medical records documented this abuse that she'd been subjected to Her lawyer was able to arrange a plea deal for the charges that she faced in Dee Dee's death, and in 2016, Gypsy pled guilty to second-degree murder. She was sentenced to 10 years in prison, though she would be eligible for parole beginning in 2024. Go John was found guilty... Of first degree murder in 2018 and was sentenced to life in prison. Gypsy has stated it was only after Dee Dee's death that she fully realized the extent of her mother's deception. While Gypsy had known she could walk and she could eat regular food, she believed that she had had leukemia and had had leukemia her whole life. Today, Gypsy's healthy. She also said she enjoys more freedom in prison than she did in the life she shared with her mom. How
0: sad is that? Yeah. I mean, and you can see pictures of her now. She's beautiful. She's got like this long brown hair. She's a normal girl. Like all of the the visual illness that she had when you saw her as a younger child and like with her mom, it's not present at all.
1: She's just, she's a young woman living her life now. And the fact that prison... Freed her? Yeah, that it's freeing her. And it's almost, for her, this this stepping stone, this rehab facility from hostage life to the real world. Yep. It's heartbreaking.
0: It is. It's hard to comprehend, honestly, prison being better than what you had outside of prison because honestly that's not the goal of prison Prisons supposed to be somewhere yeah. where you think about what you've done you get rehabilitated in an ideal scenario and you are able to do your time and come out and mm-hmm. move on with your life but for her it's like the opposite it's like she's now being able to begin her life and it just happens to be in prison
1: well it's i mean it's rehabilitation in a completely different way. It's small steps to understanding life like an adult, but it's at prison. I will say through all of this, through everything she's gone through and everything she's gone through now, when asked if she was glad if her mom was dead, she stated, I'm glad I'm out of that situation, but I'm not happy that she's dead.
0: I mean, she loved her mom. Through everything that her mom put her through, Her mom was her best friend. She loved her.
1: I mean, her mom, even when her mom was being murdered, she loved her mom. That is one thing that I think is constant throughout all of this is Gypsy loved her mom. And in her way, however hard it is to understand how difficult it is to fathom, Dee Dee loved Gypsy.
0: She did. She loved Gypsy. Munchausen by proxy is an illness. And Dee Dee had it really bad.
1: So that is the case of Gypsy Rose Blanchard and the murder of her mother, Dee Dee Blanchard.
0: All right. Well, so now I'm going to jump into my case. This one is the murder of Garnett Spears. The sources I used were the New York Times and True Crime Daily. So Lacey Spears grew up in Decatur, Alabama, and she was an all-American girl she always wanted to be looking after children, she loved being a babysitter, and when she left school, she went into childcare. It was just a very natural progression in her life. She just, she loved them so much, it's all she ever wanted to do. And that is something that is seen as, like, that's fantastic. Like, of course she wants someone mm-hmm. who loves your children, who wants to be with them and be a part of their lives. Oh, Absolutely. Of course, as you can imagine, Lacey wanted children of her own, and she got pregnant and gave birth to a little boy she named Garnet on December 3rd, 2008. But motherhood got off to a little bit of a rocky start when at just nine days old, Garnet became so ill that he was put in the hospital. Within Mm. days, she was taking him to the hospital and complaining that he wasn't eating and he was getting all these infections. So he's just... Something's happening, and he's not okay. However, this would turn out to be just one of the dozens of trips they made to the doctor to address Garnet's growing list of mysterious health issues. The doctors were baffled by the various things that Lacey said. She said Garnet had many other diseases, which were all inexplicable. There was never any evidence or explanation. and. Most notably, Lacey told doctors that Garnet would not eat. When he was eight months old, she asked to have a feeding tube put in because she said he was a failure to thrive child. She went to various doctors and hospitals, and many of them were really hesitant to put a feeding tube in, but eventually she found a doctor that would. He also had another procedure to close up his throat so he could not regurgitate or be sick, so he, he couldn't throw up.
1: Oh my god, I didn't know that was a thing that doctors did. I didn't
0: either. But it's basically, I guess, removing your ability to have a gag reflex. So at this point, his little body is being forced to ingest everything that his mom's feeding him. He can't, he can't get it out of his body. And she has full control because of the feeding tube for him to ingest whatever she wants. From Garnett's daily diet to his frequent hospital visits, it was all documented on Lacey's multiple social media websites. She had a blog, she was all over Facebook, and it appeared that a growing online community is where Lacey turned for support, comfort, and sympathy. And so this is the part of Munchausen by Proxy where you seek attention. Lacey also kept this detailed blog, and she called it Garnet's Journey. It was one of the mommy blogs that, you know, garners a lot of followers and people comment. People get really engaged, and you really build a community on blogs like this, and that's what Lacey had.
1: It's just so fucked up, because there are so many parents who create these blogs, who document their child's journey through illness, you know, partially for support, partially because maybe this is all the documentation that's going to be left of their child's life if their kid dies. I mean, there. this is one of those cases where I understand fully that it is, that Munchausen by proxy is a mental illness and it's a disorder and she is sick too, but there are just so many... I don't know, there's something about the mommy blog of a sick kid that I've seen so many. I mean, there's, um, there's baby Ronan, who died when he was three, of cancer, whose life and death and everything in the family his mom documented in a blog. And to just see that same thing, that all of these people who are here supporting her, supporting this family and this child... That's going through this. They just, they don't realize that what's going on is child abuse.
0: Right. And like I said, it built a community for Lacey and people to bond with and to share what she was going through. So at a certain point, Garnet had visited 20 different medical facilities, but Lacey appeared desperate for a cure They moved to a secluded area of Chestnut Ridge, New York, to a place called the Fellowship Community, which has a focus on sustainable living and a farm-to-table diet. So she thinks that this is going to be what helps Garnet be able to eat.
1: Well, and this, I mean, the idea and image of this mom not taking no for an answer, fighting for her child, moving across the country to fight for her child is i mean it's inspiring it's something that you know you read about and then you read they finally you know this doctor finally discovered what was going on and you're like that mom never stopped fighting she never gave up and it's fuck there's there's a word for it it's like inspiration porn or something like that and that's i mean that's what it is stories like this it's stories where, you know, the family dog rescues the baby, things like that. And it falls so much into this trope of like, you read and you see, th- you know, throughout this struggle, throughout this hardship, there's this good, there's this inherent good still out there. I know. And that's just not the case. No, I'm
0: going to say, you know, by our topic, that's not this story. That's not what's happening. But that's what everyone sees. So Garnet is now a five-year-old boy, and he began to make friends and hang out with other families. But then the oddest things started to happen. Lacey's new neighbors, they didn't really see any of the signs of the sick child that she talked about all the time on her social media accounts. But their suspicions did turn to sympathy when Lacey shared some really devastating news. Initially, she told them that her fiancé, the baby's father, Blake he'd passed away. And she said he was a former policeman who was killed in a tragic car accident. Blake's accident and death appeared to be extremely heartbreaking for Lacey and and something that was hard for her to share with her new neighbors. And so as the community of Chestnut Ridge rallied around her, new questions did happen to surface about her and her son. People in the community started to become really suspicious. And This is because Lacey told everyone about Garnet, his illness that he'd had, and how he had had all these various diseases and couldn't really eat. But then they would take him out to a diner and they'd see him eat double portions, and so things were not adding up. However, Lacey was adamant that something was very wrong and on January 17th, 2014, Lacey rushed Garnett to the hospital. It was a Friday when they checked in. Lacey complained that he was having seizures, and so they hooked him up to an EEG, and on the first day, he didn't have any seizures. So then there's no seizure activity on Saturday or Sunday. Sunday morning, the nurse comes in with some great news for Lacey that Garnet had no seizure activity and so he most likely would be going home. And then after the nurses and doctors left the room, Garnett's condition turns a complete 180 and on January 22nd, he was pronounced essentially brain dead. On January 23rd, 2014, Garnet died. Lacey immediately took to Facebook and she was giving a play-by-play of the situation, that he went to the hospital, he was He was doing okay, and all of a sudden, it was a turn, and he passed. Doctors treating Garnet couldn't find a medical explanation for his current condition. They called the police. They did blood tests on Garnet, and it showed that he had a lethal amount of sodium in his system. What was going on? And according to doctors, this was not natural, and so right away, Lacey was interviewed by the police. But... She spoke so well, and she had a pretty good working knowledge of hospital terms and illnesses. Police had no reason not to believe what she was telling them. Yeah, and
1: God, to be that doctor who things are suspicious, but I feel like unless it's obvious, it's often confusing or whatever around a a patient's death. But to be the doctor who's looking at these test results and looking at them over again and being like... I think we need to call the police. I I think there's more to the, what's going on than just a now grieving mother. I know. But having to make the call to call police and let this mother whose child just died, like to, to be like, we're suspicious you did this. Obviously, I mean, it's the right thing to do because as hard as it can be to... I mean, I've never gone through it. I can't imagine it. But as hard as it must be to talk to police after going through something like this, I mean, answers are so important.
0: Yeah. Well, and the thing is, honestly, questionable deaths happen all the time. Like, sometimes people just die. And it's from a situation where one moment they're 100%, the next moment they pass away. And to have a doctor know when it's the right time to... To think, you know what? There's something not right here. We need to call in the police. Yeah. That's that's a gigantic red flag. And, and I agree with you. You know that moment was not an easy decision. And it was not taken lightly. Exactly. So the investigators are interviewing her. And honestly, they had to wonder if... This was just simply a tragic story, and they were interviewing a young mother who had just lost her sick child. And it was just like what you were saying, like you just, I don't know, like what's what's going on? Detectives had to consider that maybe Lacey had nothing to do with this. During that interview with Detective Kariff, Lacey mentioned the recent passing of Garnet's father, Blake. Around the same time, Lacey's own father arrived at the hospital, and then... Detective Kareth was talking to the father and learned that whoever Blake is, he wasn't dead and he wasn't Garnet's father. Blake Robinson was alive and he worked as a Morgan County Sheriff's deputy in Alabama. Robinson did not know Lacey was using pictures of him or using him in her story until he was told by the detective. Oh my god. (laughs) Yeah. Robinson told police that he went out on a couple dates with Lacey, but nothing serious or sexual. So she literally just kept photos of him and was saying that he was the father and that he had passed. So this obviously became Detective Cariff's biggest red flag, and police obtained a search warrant for her apartment. When they walked in, in the middle There was a feeding machine pump that appeared to be breast milk in the feeding bag. And there was a small table where the detective saw seven to eight medications, ones that she had mentioned giving to Garnet, just all lined up on the table. However, in the middle of those was a sea salt container. So police began to photograph the apartment. And then they got a phone call from Lacey's neighbor, Valerie Bluche, She told police that Lacey called her to ask her to go to her apartment, retrieve the feeding bag, and get rid of it, and to not tell anyone. Detectives recovered the feeding bag and a second bag from the trash, and they submitted them to the Westchester County Lab for analysis. The results came back, and an astronomically high level of sodium was found in those bags. Police returned, and they questioned her again. Investigators started digging and discovered dozens of records from Child Protective Services and doctor's offices from Alabama and Florida. Um, Again, she's in New York at the time. Detectives started to see a pattern of what they believed to be Munchausen by proxy. Investigators started to build their case. They believed that Lacey was poisoning her son and then posting it all over social media to grab attention and sympathy. And... One thing, if you if you didn't know, you can consume too much sodium to where it becomes lethal. Mm-hmm. It can kill you. Yeah. And it does take oh, yeah. very high amounts, but it can still happen. And it causes brain death and then death. Oh yeah,
1: overdosing by salt is definitely something that can happen, that does happen. Not a good way to go because it draws the it pulls the liquid out of your cells they shrivel you die not pretty your brain hemorrhages but i mean it's one of the things that's kind of the opposite of overdosing on water in a way which
0: is it is the opposite of also yeah which is one of those things i was going to say i don't know if a lot of people know that you can od on water So investigators learned that if someone started to catch on to Lacey or they would try to investigate her further, she would move on. Mm -hmm. She knew how to play the system. When Child Protective Services in Alabama and Florida were investigator, she moved. And... This is when investigators started to see what was happening, and they just needed some solid proof. New York investigators suspected that Lacey had just killed her 5-year-old son. The boy had died just hours after doctors in the hospital gave him a clean bill of health, so they felt that there was some type of intervention. Cops claimed that Lacey poisoned her son Garnet to death with lethal levels of salt, and... They found something where they believed they had proof. There was videotape. Oh. So during an interview with Garnet's kindergarten teacher, who also happened to be a nurse, she mentioned that he was on an EEG, and so she asked the investigators where the video was for the EEG. Well, they had no idea that the fact that he was hooked up to an EEG meant that it was being recorded. But now they knew and they were going to go find it. Yeah. The final moments of Garnet's life were captured on video on January 19th, 2014. The video begins when Garnet checks in on Friday and it records through Sunday when doctors and nurses tell Lacey that Garnet is healthy and he can go home. Lacey appears to take Garnet to the bathroom just outside camera range. When they come back out of the bathroom, a few seconds, minutes later, He turned extremely ill. He was burying his head into the bed, into the pillow, and turning. He was trying to throw up, but again, he couldn't throw up. So with that, Lacey was arrested and charged with murder. Her defense team argued that Jim poisoned her son with salt, in fact, that there was no sodium actually recovered from the feeding bags in the hospital room, so how would it have gotten into his system? However, in court... Prosecutors slowed down the video. So she has something in her hand in that part of the video. They went into the bathroom and they're off camera and they come out and she's holding something. Prosecutors yeah. claimed that in the bathroom, Lacey gave Garnet a lethal dose of salt, which moments later caused his brain to swell and ultimately killed him. But there was actually evidence on the videotape that showed Lacey's phone and Google searches that she was doing. So she left her phone laying on the bed and the team was able to like zoom in and observe that some of the searches she was doing were for salt poisoning. Prosecutors were able to connect the time on the phone to the video and to the search that she was doing. So everything paired up. She did the search and then she did it. Lacey Spears was found guilty of depraved indifference murder of a child.
1: That's really specific. Extremely
0: specific. And Justice Robert Neary of state Supreme Court said Mrs. Spears' crime was unfathomable in its cruelty and brought her son five years of torment and pain. But he also said that he was not imposing the maximum penalty of 25 years to life because One does not have to be a psychiatrist to realize you suffer from Munchausen by proxy. Her lawyers had declined to raise this disorder as a defense, and both sides agreed not to mention it in trial. Her lawyers also denied that she ever did anything to harm the boy. However, she was sentenced to 20 years to life in prison. So, I mean... Wow. His little bit of like forgiveness gave her five years before like she gets parole five possible five years. possible yeah. years for parole, but like I mean,
1: it's interesting that they didn't move forward with a Munchausen by proxy defense, but I get it on the defense side as well, their tactic is to say she didn't poison him with salt. And if they admit to Munchausen's by proxy, then they kind of have to admit that she did do it. So that is an interesting tactic.
0: It is. And the entire time, and to this day, Lacey still says she did nothing to her son. That she did nothing wrong. That she did not poison him. She denies everything. So when Garnet passed away, his real father, a man named Chris Hill, was absolutely devastated. And he posted a message, in part, on his Facebook page. I cried for hours when I found this out, and it will continue to hurt till the day I die. Because he had no idea about any of this. So, she has tried to appeal. Her appeals have been denied, and her ruling upheld. Um, But this was a case that, when it happened, I believe she was convicted in 2016, and it was everywhere. Because this is... Honestly, I feel like murders and things that happen now, a lot of them involve social media in some way, shape, or form.
1: Oh, yeah. And since
0: Lacey was using social media as such an outlet, it just, like, she had so many followers and people who were there to support her, and then all of a sudden, this happens.
1: Well, and also the, like, macabre interest that a lot of us have of like i know i know this is something i do at least but like what was the last post that they made before they killed or before they died like what
0: well and this goes into what yours was their
1: last facebook thing
0: this yeah. this is like what gypsy did like they murdered Dee. Dee. And then she went straight to Facebook, you know, maybe an hour or whatever. I don't don't remember the timing, but quickly after to put it on Facebook to hopefully have someone find her mom's body.
1: Well, with all of that, I think now is the perfect time to jump into postmortem, And I'm going to come right out the gate. I absolutely think that you had the more
0: intense case. Honestly, that is, that comes to a surprise only because of... I mean, honestly, I guess the notoriety of your case and that, I don't know, yours is a different one in the fact that Gypsy was, like, seeking vengeance, essentially, on her abuser. Well,
1: she was seeking, I wouldn't say vengeance. I wouldn't use that word. I would say she was seeking freedom by whatever means necessary. But your case, I mean, not only at its core is it a case of a mother torturing and murdering her own child, which mine was a case of a mother torturing her child. But just how young the child in your case was. Yeah,
0: Garnet was so little.
1: He was so young. He was five. And she
0: deliberately killed him.
1: She, like, right then and there. It wasn't a case of, I don't know, like a slow death or anything. I mean, it was... And salt poisoning is a brutal fucking death. Yeah. And while my case is also horrible, I feel like because it's more well known, or like you mentioned, the notoriety yeah. of it, it feels very wrenching to the core. It does. But just because of how brutal your case is and how direct I don't I don't know why, but in my mind, Dee Dee force feeding these pills that are giving these pills to gypsy no it was
0: totally for to me
1: i mean well yes but to the level gypsy knew what these pills were doing i don't yeah. know because again remember up until the very end she thought a lot of her illnesses were absolutely. true. absolutely but that compared to the force feeding your child these copious amounts of sodium of salt to to kill them. Because salt is not one of those things that it takes like oh, a handful and you die. It takes a lot. Yeah. I mean, it, it takes a large percentage for your body not to be able to dilute. Not to be able to handle this. For it to get into your bloodstream. The water to be pulled from your cells. For your brain to swell. I mean it, that takes a lot. And I think because of just the brutality of it, I have to, I have to say you brought the more fucked up case.
0: I will totally support that. And um, you can pick the topic next week.
1: I will. Definitely, I'll pick the topic next week. And we'll go from there.
0: And if you enjoyed this episode, if you like our podcast and the content we're bringing you guys, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews, your five-star reviews, bring us a long way. We really appreciate them. They help us get noticed by... Other people, they get the word spread, and we would love to have our podcast be spread to everyone. Because if you're enjoying it, your friends are going to enjoy it.
1: Absolutely. And also make sure to like and follow us on social media. Uh, We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Check out our website, bloodandwinepodcast.com. Check out our merch store. You can find it on our website. Hit that store button. Find all of our different
0: shirts, dog bandanas,
1: totes, all the Seriously, things. Seriously,
0: guys, the tote is one of my favorite bags. I carry it all the time. It's a fantastic tote.
1: And just in case y'all are like, but how durable is this Extremely. Tote? Can promise you, I have had a friend who did vomit in the tote, threw it in the wash. You could never tell. Also leak proof. That's important. Leak proof. Dump it out, throw it in the wash. You'll never know. Boom. That's cotton. Just saying. So
0: if you need a vomit bag or just a good tote for your things, Minus the vomit. Our blood on my toe is perfect.
1: (laughs) Yes, it is. But with that, thank y'all so much for tuning in, for listening to this. Hope y'all enjoyed this episode. But this is Blood and Wine signing off.
0: XOXO. Bye, you guys. Bye.